0: This is the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. And away we go with another Bob Olin Show. Another beautiful day in the uh, Twin Ports. Plenty of sunshine and warm temperatures. The only problem with this summer so far has been a lack of rain, Bob.
1: That's very true, and you know, that's been a little bit variable. Some folks, we got a lot of listeners up in the Iron Range, and <laughs> I know they've had trouble putting up pay because they've had more rain than what they can uh, utilize. Right around the greater Duluth area and just a little bit farther south in Carlton County, there are spots that are extremely dry. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is, even with uh, areas that have had those heavy downpours, uh, they've dried down now. All of that rain we were supposed to get on the weekend kind of dissipated. <laughs> And I think it shifts a little bit farther south where right. they got quite a bit down in the metro area, but we certainly didn't get it here. So a little bit of rain in the forecast, though. So is that correct,
0: Dave? Yeah, nothing really important, but at least uh, something, I guess, is better than nothing.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, we've got the warmer temperatures. We're cooling down in the evening, so that puts a little less stress on the plants. We're all trying to ripen corn and ripen tomatoes and warm season <laughs> crops, and uh, that really requires uh, some moisture. uh so many of these crops, they're really very sophisticated capsules for flavored waters and nutrient-rich waters is what vegetables and fruits are, really. But uh, we got to have the water to go with it. Fortunately, uh, we've got a pretty good base down there if you've got the rips down uh, on some of your crops and they're still pulling some, some of the water that actually uh, we put in there during the winter months and during the early spring thaw. So... Uh, we're fortunate that way, but anything that's shallow red, uh, without irrigation of one type or another, uh, we've struggled with it a little bit this
0: year, Dave. All right, we got a phone call off that this morning. Bob, hi, who's this?
2: Hi, go- me? Yep, go ahead. Patty from Fort Wayne.
0: Hi. Go ahead, Bob's listening. Right.
2: Okay, I have a few things on my mind about my tomato plants with um, bottom rot, which I have not experienced before, except maybe one or two plants. I'm wondering um, if there's an early detection and prevention. I'm wondering if uh, if I pull these plants and throw out the rotten tomatoes, if I can add them to my compost, or if that's a bad idea. And my mm-hmm. kind of gut feeling is this year we use totally old, old, rotted horse manure from a harley farm. And then I'm wondering if I over-watered or less watered, but I don't think I did either one. So I, I guess kind of how does it spread? And I've gotten the plants from my own seeds that I grow from an organic nursery and another nursery. So, But the rest of all of our gardens, seem okay, that's kind of why I want to blame the soil, because they're in a individual large black containers behind our barn.
1: Okay, lots of great questions there, and I have to go right back to your original question and comment. Did you say what you're calling bottom rot? Is that correct? Is that on the plant, or is that on the fruit that we're seeing that now?
2: It's it's on the fruit. I don't know how to... I've never... De- I don't know how to detect it on a plant itself.
1: Okay. And it's out on the uh, the far end of the fruit, is that correct, typically? And then consumes yeah. the entire fruit? Sure does. Okay. Uh, it sounds as if you have blossom end rot. starts out at the far end, what we call the distal end, out where the blossom is, hence the term blossom end rot. It is okay. not uncommon. It's not uncommon it uh it typically it's a it's not a disease it's what we call I don't want to throw a big term at you. We call these things physiological disorders, in other words, they're not diseased, but they're responding to some change in nutrients, some change in the environment that's causing the deterioration of the the fruit itself and you are absolutely right, it can be very, very devastating. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of an explanation here. It Typically, it's caused from a calcium deficiency. Calcium is one of the major macronutrients that plants require. It's typically readily available in mineral soils. So if you are planted in mineral soil, but you said you're in containers, and uh, what kind of soils are in your containers? How did you fill those?
2: Almost totally with the rotted
1: Manure. Okay. Uh, sadly, that is the issue right there because you've got basically an organic material there and rotted manure. And first off, you'd be congratulated for not using a fresh manure. Fresh manures we want to stay away from for lots of reasons. Weed, p- weed pressure, uh, more nitrogen than a tomato likes and so forth. But your well rotted manure is going to be fine. The only problem is in those organics, you are deficient in calcium. So um at this particular point uh I would like to like you to come over the top with some kind of a form of uh calcium. I would be using uh even a lime would probably work for you, a calcium carbonate or a readily available form of calcium. With it has to be water soluble so it gets carried by the plant out to the far end of the forming fruit. So Let's not give up on uh, on this year's crop. I think uh, those that are infected you're going to have to take out cut the rotted portion off there's There isn't any disease associated with it, so you don't really have to be worried about the plants carrying disease or anything like that. This is again not a disease issue. this is a nutrient issue so uh what you what you'll need to find, however, is you'll need to find a source of soluble calcium, something that can be carried out to the far end of the plant. Go to a lawn and garden shop. They oftentimes will have soluble calciums. Sometimes they're products uh, that are actually called Blossom End Rot Stopper or some kind of a name like that. But it's soluble calcium that gets carried out to the far end. In the, and you want to save as much of the crop as you can. I'm assuming the plants look pretty good. They're lush and green. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes, and that's because you've got a fair amount of nitrogen there. Now, once again, in a pure uh, organic, uh, particular manure like that, we can have a little more nitrogen than we'd really like uh, because we get lush growth at the expense of the actual formation of of fruit. So uh, we have to be a little careful. I think next year's solution is going to be taking your well rotted manure and mixing in a sandy, low-mineral soil. And you, you know, you made some heavy red clays. I'm assuming in your area, is that correct?
2: Well, it is. Except we have these in containers. Yes. And the containers have worked so well, but I've mostly yes. used our um, our own uh, what do you call it um, uh, compost stuff.
1: Yes. Uh, I think you don't want to. You're going to want to refill your containers for next year. You can All you can do for this year is get a soluble form of calcium to try to carry it out to the end of the plant. Next year, you want to refill your containers, and you want to add a mineral soil. This is something that's coming out of the ground that came from uh rock that was broken down over years. We've got lots of calcium there, so we want to mix that, maybe about 50-50, but you don't want a real heavy red clay. That's difficult as well. So you want to look for a sandy, loam mineral soil You've got some certainly in the area, and you want to mix them together. I would, uh, at the end of the year, and I'm hopeful that you can salvage some of this fruit, uh, at the end of the year, you're going to pour all these containers out. You're going to get a big pile. You're going to mix in some sandy loam mineral soil, and that's going to help with most of your your difficulty. Um, You can also add a little lime to that. That's calcium carbonate. We want soluble forms of calcium. And then uh, if you're careful, you can use a little bit of calcium nitrate uh, for a nitrogen source in the spring. We don't want to use too much because uh, we get uh, lush green growth at the expense of fruit formation. But the good news is, uh, you know, you don't have a disease issue here to deal with, and this is something that you can readily correct by getting uh, more of a base in the soil, a calcium A component that's typically available in mineral soils, not organics, not peat, not compost, not well-rotted manures, but in mineral soils that come from your backyard uh, garden, uh, that material that's been broken down for years, a typical garden soil. We've got to get at least 50% of that in there because that has uh, the calcium source available for your tomatoes. Does that help at all?
2: Um, It helps a lot, and we do empty the containers every year. That's why I know that I know this year all that's in there is that rotted soil. It should have been mixed with something else. And this mineral soil from our gardens, you suggest. Or should I go to WLC
1: and get a whole pickup load of them? No, no. Now when you go in there, one of our, our good sponsors, and I'm a big advocate of the compost that they're using, but that is, again, an organic. That's not a mineral yeah. soil. So that's going to be used as an amendment. You do not want to do that. You want to get a mineral soil, and probably you've got it just in your backyard, just the earth that you would have your your garden formed in. And then mix that about 50-50. Let's get some calcium back in there. You know, you're not alone. This is a problem that uh, a lot of people have, particularly when you come up into containers. Most people will fill a container with a a quote-unquote potting soil. Again, that's typically deficient in uh, magnesium and calcium. So we always want to mix in some mineral soil with those potting soil mixes that we fill containers with. So you're not alone. Uh, That's a very common problem. Blossom end rot, we don't see it nearly as readily in uh, plants that are planted right out in the garden in mineral soil. We will see it in some years. We also see it on other plants. We see it on zucchini. We see the blossom end rot there. We can see it in other vine crops. But it's all about either one of two things. Either the calcium isn't there and available in the soil or it has not been transported to the far end of the plant with consistent watering. So it has to be two things. It has to be available, it has to be soluble, and then it has to be delivered to the far end of the plant by watering consistently. I hope that helps in in a little bit of a long uh, explanation, but I wanted to spend some time because so many people have the same problem that you're dealing with, particularly in containers filled with potting soil mixes.
0: All right, thanks a lot for the call. Appreciate it. 928, Bob, we're going to take a break and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show. It is the Bob Olin Show, and Bob, right back to the phones we go. Hi, who's this? Uh, this is Crystal. Go ahead, Crystal.
2: I'm wondering when to cut the tops off Brussels sprouts Oh, okay. so they mature at the same time.
1: Oh, so they mature at the same time. You get a little, a little thicker, um, uh, actually, uh, sprout there. I think I'd be doing that right now. To be honest, because you got to give them a chance to fill in and, and grow out. So, yeah, you do have uh, you do have a choice there to make them a little bit more consistent and make the uh, the sprouts themselves a little larger. Uh, I've done it both ways, and uh, I get a little different results both ways. And if you don't have a chance to cut them back, uh, don't worry, you're still going to get a nice uh, nice set. They do take a while to form, of course, and uh, but they've become extremely popular. How are you preparing yours, or have you always been a Brussels sprout fan?
2: I actually sell them at the Superior Farmers Market.
1: Oh you do? Okay, fine. And yeah. how what is the demand? Is the demand pretty high? Uh
2: well you know, it's fifty fifty 50 some people really like some people don't want anything to do with
1: them. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so true. Uh you know, it's in the uh they're in the cabbage family, um big advocate, uh Cabbage is so nutritious. Broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts. That group is just so overwhelmed. But uh, Brussels sprouts, you know, it seems like we've got fashionable vegetables that come and go. Kale is the classic. There was a time when, and I don't know what your demand for kale is, there's very little demand for kale right now. One time, everyone was putting it in smoothies and all kinds of things, and this had all these magical properties, and there was a tremendous demand for kale, and all of a sudden, uh, that just fell off a. A cliff Brussels sprouts. The last couple of years, there's been quite a bit of demand. Uh, people prep them in lots of different ways. I think sautéing them and so forth, but they're all good. They're all nutritious, and uh, again, part of this uh, this great uh, cabbage family, which we can grow so well in the Northland, particularly under cooler conditions. And if you got a big root down, they've got a good root system, so uh, the surface moisture probably doesn't impact them at all. So, yeah, cut them back. Cut them back right now and um, they should uh, give you more of a uniform and, and some larger uh, sprouts in the process.
2: I have one other question too. Sure. I'm, wonder, I'm wondering uh, when to like cut off the blossom and the tomato plants because they're not gonna have time to ripen.
1: Yeah, that's a very good question as well. Um, I, I generally will wait a little bit longer. Uh, you can I think blossoms you can take off right now because realistically, you know, we've got to get fruit set, and fruit set can be variable in terms of how much time that takes. Uh, Night and day temperatures determine uh, how fast we go from blossom to fruit, and that's kind of unpredictable. So I think the blossoms come off. I'm reluctant to cut off the top stock because, again, that's the factory that you can thin out and prune out, but I usually wait till about uh, mid-August when you get this sudden feeling in the morning that, boy, there's a chill in the air and fr- and falls on the way. At that point, you can thin down some of the uh, upper green material. We want all of that, uh, all the sugars to get concentrated back in the fruit. We want that running process to occur. But blossoms, uh, sadly, we'd li- we, if we had a great season, all those blossoms would potentially produce produce fruit but uh we are warming up a little bit but certainly not extending the season to the point where uh, those blossoms are going to produce fruit that'll ripen so take the blossoms off right now uh don't remove much of the uh, green foliage that's the uh, portion of the plant that's producing all the sugars for the fruit and but you can thin that out thin it out i say don't whack the tops off you you don't want sun scald so you can thin it out a little bit Uh, about August 15th, and that's not too far away, I guess, about a Mm -hmm. week or so away.
2: All right. Thank you very much.
1: Thank
0: you you for the call. You're very welcome. We're coming up on 830. Make that 935, Bob. We'll take another break and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. And we are back. More of the Bob Olin Show. And, Bob, this is the day we've been waiting for all summer long. This is National Sneak Some Zucchini onto Your Neighbor's Porch Day. So if you got any excess oh, yeah, zucchini, just go ahead and put it on your neighbor's porch. So there actually is a national day there, right? <laughs> Apparently right? so, and this is it, August the 8th.
1: Well, that's good to know. Zucchini has been a good crop. You talk about uh, crops that are good in any given year, and boy, they've come in, keeps coming in, getting up moisture in many cases. Uh, the zucchini are down there and getting all the moisture they need. So we've got uh, some... That have actually jumbled, and they're absolutely huge. And I think even your neighbor may not be happy getting those <laughs> <back> porch. <laughs>
0: well, let's see. We got the largest ever recorded zucchini. Uh, I'd was, like to hear that. Was grown in Niagara Falls, Ontario, weighed in at 65 pounds, and was 70 inches long. Oh, boy. That is a big zucchini. Yeah. That is
1: one big <laughs> zucchini. 70 inches. Wow. Yeah. We're getting up about, what,
0: uh, close to 6 feet? Man, that's Yeah, amazing. 65 pounds, that's, uh, boy, they can make a whole lot of stuff out of that one zucchini. No,
1: I think <laughs> that's for sure. That's a whole lot of zucchini bread and cake, which incidentally, mm, yeah. uh, you know, we laugh about zucchini, but it's a great crop. Uh, and it's relatively, yeah, it's been around forever and, uh, in <laughs> Italy and other places. But, you know, uh, even in my career here, there was a time where we weren't growing zucchini. Now we're growing it, uh, every, virtually everyone's growing it. Uh. Not always with the best success. Again, it's one of those crops. It's, it is a heavy nitrogen feeder. A caller from Port Wing there that had a great source of uh, she's having a little trouble with her tomatoes, but she's got a great source of well-rotted manure, lots of nitrogen there. So uh, that's great food for zucchinis, certainly, but she can have blossom and rot there as well. So again, my advice, filling containers is to get, let's get a little mineral soil or be conscious and supplement with some, por- some form of calcium. But uh, people are using zucchini spiralizing. I've not tried it, but I know lots and lots of folks that are using it, substituting for the carbohydrate. You know, there's there's certainly an awareness out there. Um, you know, one time we were calorie deficient. Much of the world still is calorie deficient. We look at uh, some of the Asian countries that just can't get enough calories to support good quality health and growth. But uh we're certainly not calorie deficient, so people are looking for, uh, low carbohydrate alternatives, and zucchini is certainly one of them, spiralizing and using it as noodles, uh, and of course, uh, as salads, a lot of people eat them raw, those young ones, uh, certainly are really good. I don't think that, uh, 65 pound one, uh, I'm not sure how you grind that up, but <laughs> you want the young, uh, young zucchini with thin skin. You know, they're in this group of summer squash. The difference between summer and winter squash typically is that uh, you can eat the entire uh, squash. The, the skin never really does firm up uh, to the point where it's going to protect the, the squash for long periods of time. So they really mature earlier in the summer, but they also got thin skin. Uh, our fall and our winter keeping squash, of course, they're going to be later mature. They have a firm skin. Uh, that you're not going to be consuming, going to be scraping the flesh out, cooking and scraping the flesh out from the inside. So the difference between summer and winter squash, summer squash right now coming in uh, in great deal of abundance with our farmer's market state. So Mm -hmm. that's been a very good crop for us this year.
0: How's the zucchini been this year? Very good. Uh,
1: Very plentiful. And uh, as long as you had uh, adequate moisture, Mm -hmm. you did real well. That crop... And if I can just touch on the blueberry crop, they they made it the wild blueberries because we were so dry in June and May. They came through the winter just fine. But uh, May and June, the driest on the recorded record, uh, they had a lot of trouble. So a lot of the wild crop, unless there was a good moisture supply down in a pocket or one place or another, people had certainly trouble bringing them in. But domesticated crop? Uh, where there's been irrigation available. Some of the pick-your-owns uh, have been tremendous this year, so that, that snow protected all the blossoms. There's still plenty of time to get out there, do a little picking and so forth, so uh, the domesticated uh, varieties, and these are some of the Minnesota half Eyes that were developed at the University of Minnesota. Uh, kudos to Dr. Dave Wildung, and I worked with him uh, at the Grand Rapids uh, at that time, called the Experiment Station. Um, that's an introduction that's done very, very well, and I know if he might be listing, uh, he has retired, but uh, Dave, you did a great job there and provided uh, so much of a crop that we'll be using into the future. We have open winters, uh, flower bloods have it, have problems there and uh, yields go down, but this last winter was very snowy and that's great for this crop. Great as a home crop as well for people if they want to put some of these in the ground. They certainly are wonderful, uh, wonderful varieties. Uh, you know, another thing, Dave, people ask about this time of year, um, They asked me about garlic quite a bit. Uh, Garlic's become extremely, uh, not just fashionable, Mm -hmm. the consumption throughout the world. I think this one's uh, certainly here to stay. Uh, uh, The garlic, uh, certainly I think during the pandemic time when people were home and looking for uh, something that was nutritious, doing a little more home cooking, the demand for garlic surged, as a matter of fact. uh, uh, most of it is actually produced in China right now. Most of it's in the United States through our commercial sources. is Chinese, about 60%, and the remaining oh. 40%, I think about 30%, comes from California. The rest is a little smattering of a, a smaller local growers around. But um, the Chinese are uh, big-time producers. Uh, they produce uh, millions of uh, tons of garlic for distribution throughout the world. And um, so there's an import, but I, I prefer the local varieties that uh, we can grow here, certainly. So if you want to uh, plant some of your own garlic, you want to get involved a little bit prepping. That's one of the crops. Why I kind of like it, we're so busy planting everything in the spring, but garlic we plant in the fall wow. when the pressure's off just a little bit. But if you have your own garlic, it's got to come out of the gar- ground right now. we got to get it out. If we get some rain here, you don't want it to sprout. You don't want it to rot off, get those uh, those bulbs out of the ground, get them hung up, get them dried down, find a nice, airy, dark spot to let them cure. So we pull them out uh, typically this time early August and then uh, hang them for two months, and they go back in the ground uh, depending on the year, but typically about October 15th. So right now you're going to get it out of the ground, you're going to get them hung, You're going to get them uh, dried down. You're not going to let them re-sprout. We want all that energy to remain in the buds and in the cloves. But what you will want to do is you want to take a look at that area that you're going to be planting. And you want to make sure you get all the weeds out. It's a good time to control weeds. Even perennial grass is going to be controlled now a little bit more easily. Uh, They are a a fairly heavy feeder. Uh, You want to make sure you've got your... uh, Potassium and the phosphorus levels up in that in that place where you're going to plant them. You got uh, got plenty of time, or at least a couple months, to prep up a good area where you're going to plant your garlic. And you will know, plant it in the fall. No nitrogen in the fall there, but uh, they like early nitrogen in the spring of the year. I'll tell people just as they're breaking through, and we typically will get them in the ground October 15th. Yeah, you don't want you want them to start. Uh, there's still heat in the ground at that point, so the roots begin to form. And but you don't want them to go too early or the sprouts will emerge and then we freeze those sprouts off. So you want the garlic sprout to stay. You want the clove the itself to get started, the root system to get established. You don't want the, the sprout itself to get up above the ground level. So that stays below the ground. You cover the ground after we've had conditions that are a little cooler down in the low 20s. We come in with a nice, clean straw, weed-free, hopefully, because weeds can be certainly a problem with the garlic crop. And uh, you get them covered with straw, and in my case, you just let them go. They'll poke their way through that straw, and you've got a nice bit of straw for controlling weeds, and you've got uh, a crop that's just going to be relatively problem-free. We can have a few problems with disease sometimes, but uh, for the most part, the deer don't like them. Isn't that wonderful day? There's a crop <laughs> that deer don't like. How about that? Most of the insects don't like it, and I've heard that vampires don't like it either. Well, so that's the key. Know. When
0: you're hanging up the garlic, make sure you hang it over the front back doors so it keeps <laughs> the vampires out.
1: That's right. It's yeah. kind of interesting. And uh, if you don't have other... Uh, garlic users around you and you're consuming plenty of it, it'll keep some of the (laughs) bad actors away as well. (laughs) There you go.
0: All right, Bob. We'll take another break and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on a Tuesday morning from KDAL. Well, Bob, it is official now. According to scientists, July has become the hottest month ever recorded in world history. This is according to the uh, Climate Change Service, a division of the European Union Space Program. They announced that July's global average temperature, just over 62.5 degrees, breaking the previous record set in July of 2019 of just under 62 degrees. So there you go. Hottest ever July in recorded history. Yeah, survived. I've heard
1: that, and uh, <laughs> that's a little bit concerning, of course. Yeah. Now, aren't we not fortunate we have not experienced that? I don't know where our summer is going to end up in terms of... Uh, I add-up. think
0: we were warmer than normal in July, but certainly not record-setting around here.
1: No, no, and we had a few on slightly uncomfortable days, cooled <laughs> off a little <laughs> yeah. bit now, so uh, very, very fortunate mm-hmm. we've got this gorgeous, uh, gorgeous summer. You know, Dave... Uh, we talked about garlic. People are concerned about health benefits. I want to pass on one thing that was shared with me by a, a actually a chef out at the Rustic Inn up the shore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I should have known this, but this was maybe 10 or 15 years ago. He used a lot of garlic. But you take your garlic, and one of the health benefits is a compound called allicin. It's got a more complicated uh, actual uh, um, chemical name. It's in the sulfide group, one of the big anti-inflammatories, and a lot of the health benefits are are really ascribed to allison. Garlic has got a lot of the minerals and nutrients and a lot of phosphorus, zinc, and all kinds of vitamin K, vitamin C, and other things, as most veggies do. But it's got this special compound called allicin. And to really get the maximum benefit. Most of us, I was just taking the cloves and throwing them in the spaghetti sauce or whatnot and cooking them. But uh, you really need to crush them first, and that releases the allicin. Then you have to let it stabilize for about 10 minutes and just sit there, and then you add to your your uh, whatever uh, warm dish, so you don't damage the the benefits, the health benefits, of the allicin. So I did track that back a little bit, and uh, since we're talking about a little bit about garlic, I would share that that was a revelation to me, and I want to share that with others. Wow. I, it, it seems to be in the literature other places that. Uh, crush it first, give it 10 minutes to stabilize, and then it's going to be heat-stable when you add it to your dishes and you get the maximum both flavor as well as the maximum benefit from this rather interesting compound that's in garlic called called allicin. So I thought I'd just share that one oh, yeah. with folks. It was on my mind and it was shared with me about 10 or 15 years ago, and I've followed that procedure ever since.
0: You learn something new every week on The Bob Olin Show. <laughs> We're all just learning and... Uh, It's always
1: fun to interact with people. Once again, uh, the benefits of gardening are huge. Uh, You know, we're constantly reminded of some of the struggles out there with addiction and mental illness and mental health and so forth. Physical activity, getting out in the sunshine, we all know the benefits of that. Gardening just brings all of that uh, home to you. So get out there and enjoy this beautiful season that we have. I think it's better for us as individuals and certainly collectively better for us as a society. So gardening can certainly help in that area in lots of different ways. So get out and garden. Enjoy, the, uh, enjoy this wonderful weather. Uh, harvest what you can. Encourage your tomatoes to ripen. And then prep a little area for maybe some of that garlic that you're going to put in this fall, Dave.
0: Yeah, and uh, get those zucchinis out and get them on somebody's porch <laughs> as soon as possible. By the way, yeah, I was please. reading up on zucchini. They apparently have more potassium in a zucchini than a banana has. How about that?
1: You know, you learn something every day. Yeah. And,
0: uh, <laughs> and the flower of the zucchini plant is edible, and I didn't know that. Yeah, I was
1: well aware of that. Of course, <laughs> uh, you got to be a little careful. You wipe the flowers off, you're not going to get zucchini, but ah. maybe you've got plenty of zucchini anyway. Well, there you go. But uh, So today's the day when you have to very generously deposit one on your neighbor's <laughs> porch, huh? Yeah,
0: and you can't just put it there. you got to sneak it there. You can't. You can't announce that you're putting it there. So you're saying
1: after sunset
0: and midnight
1: on National, the uh, bring bringer through Kenny to your neighbor's porch today. So maybe
0: do it like a May Day thing, where you ring the bell and then run.
1: <laughs> okay, when the sun goes down, <laughs> we'll, we'll bring some of those. Maybe not sixty-five pounders,
0: but we no, got no. some twenty-five pounders for sure. Out. You need there. a front end loader to put that one on somebody's porch.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that would be a surprise. Break the porch down in the process, huh? All right. Well, let's not forget
0: about the farmers' market. They go on uh, well tomorrow, actually, and then again on Saturday.
1: That's right, the Luke Farmers Market, and we got other farmers' markets there. I'm a oh, big advocate of, of every every market out there. Buy local, local fresh. The markets are full now. You zucchini, but cukes, and a little early for our major tomatoes are beginning mm. to come in. But I know people are waiting for that crop. But so much else out there all of the uh certainly the cabbage families in and and garlic we talked about some of that's in as well so uh the loose farmers market 14th avenue east and third street two to five tomorrow great time to shop because it's not that busy easy to park and there's been uh, quite a while since the last major harvest so there's a lot of product out there on wednesdays two to five and then certainly on saturdays eight until noon and uh, always a great time, Family, truly family-friendly, $2 token for all the kids that come in free that they can spend on produce as well as, uh, you know, we're trying to be supportive of uh, anyone on EBT. Uh, We're triple-matching that, double-matching it, so that goes a little bit farther for folks, and everything's fresh, and it's part of uh, the Northland. Our season is short, so take advantage of it right now. Duluth Farmer's Market, 14th Avenue East and 3rd Street. One block down from the burrito unit. Great time, uh, both Wednesday afternoons and Saturday mornings.
0: Still waiting on the tomatoes, and I'm assuming waiting on the corn, too. I, I'm kind of waiting for yeah, that. Yeah,
1: a little rain, uh, that would help a great deal <laughs> right now, for sure.
0: Okay, well, we've got a little rain in the forecast, nothing major. That's the problem. It's so dry, I imagine we need a good soaker.
1: Yeah, uh, We all need an inch, an inch or two. We all don't right. need the hail that sometimes no in no. those kinds of storms. It would. Maybe a little bit now, a little bit later, and maybe uh, I think later in the week we get uh hopefully a uh, forecast
0: for some more rain, for sure. Otherwise, keep that hose handy, I guess.
1: Oh, yes. All of us would pull a lot of hose, a lot of drip, drip, trickle irrigation. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you had water, uh, things came early. I mentioned garlic came early for us this year, and uh, cutes came early, and uh, mm-hmm. those that are raising melons, they came early, and other things came early because it's been a nice warm night and day. And if the water was there, certainly uh, the crops uh, produced according to a tremendous number of cubes, pickling cubes. If you're into that dill and all those kinds of great types of activities, uh, all those crops are in right now and in abundance for sure.
0: All right, Bob, thank you very much, and we'll catch you again next week. My pleasure.
1: Fun, and thanks for all our callers. Some very interesting questions today.